podcast episode number 36 thanks to everybody for joining we sure appreciate you uh, taking the time to hang out with us and spend some time with us uh i would like to at this time welcome my co-host please everybody give me a give a big huge warm welcome to the amazing freddie good evening everybody glad to be here for another episode of the tony hawk podcast and boy do we have an awesome guest here tonight Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited. We'll introduce our guests here in just a couple of seconds. Just a couple of quick things as we're getting rolling here tonight. Um, if, As if anybody could forget, the new Tony Hawk game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 Plus 2, launches this coming Friday, September 4th. Hope everybody checks it out and hope we see you online. Uh, we're going to get to play these games online, so it's going to be awesome. We're going to get our guest thoughts on this uh, title here in a minute. And then second to that, if you haven't already checked it out, we would highly recommend everybody go check out Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk video game story documentary. It's an incredibly well-done film. Uh, we believe everybody will enjoy it. It's available everywhere now on Video On Demand. More info on it can be found at thpsfilm.com. And we are going to talk about that in great detail with our guest here in just a second. Uh, Freddie, excited for the for the uh, the launch of the new game, and uh, and uh, ex- and I know you got a chance to watch the documentary. Uh, thoughts? I've thoroughly enjoyed the documentary. It, it the the level of detail that the director and of course everybody that that they interviewed was awesome. Um, and I've, we're finally here on release week for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One Plus Two. So I'm ready to dive into this new game. Yes, absolutely. All right. So without further ado, uh, tonight we're more we're more than stoked to welcome to the podcast former NeverSoft producer Ralph D'Amato. Ralph was a producer and a member of the original development team of the Tony Hawk games at NeverSoft from the beginning of the series up to Tony Hawk's Project 8. He was also a producer for the NeverSoft game Gun. Uh, Ralph has also worked as a director of new media for Tony Hawk Incorporated. He is currently a production director and has been producing apps since the start of the App Store. He has worked with a number of celebrities and brands to successfully launch over 20 titles. He has worked with teams all over the globe. Ralph now heads up Diamato Productions and just released a documentary, Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk video game story of video, via video on demand on all major streaming providers. Everybody, please give a warm welcome uh, to Ralph D'Amato. Hey, hey, thanks a lot. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, that was quite the talk up for sure. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, no, my, I've, I've got to get a bigger, bigger hat now because my head has grown. No, no, but, but thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on here for sure. Appreciate it. <laughs> no, gosh, the honor is ours. Thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. 
yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's the definitely the pleasure and the honor is all ours without question. All right, hey, well we're gonna jump right in. So I know you've been I know you've been doing interview after interview after interview this week about the documentary. We definitely want to ask you some questions about that. But our audience is gonna be comprised of a lot of people that are gonna probably be very interested in your time at Neversoft. And so yeah, we really want to sure. uh, enter some dialogue and, and some uh, thoughts and some uh, common commentary on that. So we always start out the podcast with what we call our kind of general questions or quick, quick hits. And those are kind of meant to, these are just meant to be, just give us a little bit of an idea of who you are, kind of a sense of, of uh, you know, your involvement with Tony Hawk, that whole kind of conversation. So we're going to jump right in, and uh, we'll just start with the first question. When did you start working at Neversoft? So I started at Neversoft, it was uh, December of 98. So it was, it was um, I think Tony started August of, of 98, so it was just a couple months after they had sort of uh, kind of finalized the fact that Tony was going to be the the nameplate for the game the spokesperson for the game and and yeah that's kind of that's right when when i started there was still just the the demo uh had been created the demo level and you know it it progressed a little bit past that but not much but um yeah it was it was at the very very beginnings of of the tony hawk uh series is is right where i started at neversoft wow so right from the beginning that's awesome (laughs) yeah yeah, I mean, they, obviously, they had been working on the demo for, for a bit before. Probably, I mean, at least, if not a year, just under a year shy of when I had, had started there, they were set, sort of working on, on a demo and, and had had just been toying around with a skate game. But, um, but it didn't really get serious, I think, until Activision signed on Tony Hawk in August of, I think it was about August of 98, and that's when things started really rolling forward quite a bit. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, so it was December is when I started. Hmm. So, Ralph, what was your favorite Tony Hawk game that you worked on yourself? Really, I mean, it's kind of hard to – they're all kind of your babies, so it's it's sort of hard to say. But the first couple are the my, my favorite that, that were the, the – you know, the, the most critical experiences for me because – I um, I kind of you know back when I went to when I went to school there was when I went to college there was no there there was no producer job in video games that that just didn't exist because there were just a few you know couple of people maybe one programmer maybe two people that worked on video games worked on a game so the job that I ended up taking didn't even exist when I was going to school so but inside of me i loved video games i was always i was a video gamer at heart um but the favorite so it's sort of hard when you're start, when you're working on them I, I would be a fool to say oh future ones were my favorite when really the favorite has to be the first because that's launched i mean my favorite for, from a gameplay perspective is tony ox pro skater 2. So from a game player's perspective, that's when I felt we were able to get the things that, that I wanted to get in the game and the gameplay aspects down the way that we, we you know, that that was, you know, the, the manual in and Rodney in and Cab in and, and Costin and it, we had the pro skater list down. And that was sort of my sweet spot as far as um, from a game, from a gamer's perspective, what my favorite to work, to play on, play with uh, was, but to work on, I would say, 
you know, you'd have to be a fool if you don't say the first one. You know, <laughs> it, it was the one that launched the entire series. So without that, you wouldn't have anything. So, yeah, that was that was probably one of the favorite. And it was the most open for us. We, we really didn't have the bar was set pretty low. We didn't have a ton of expectations set on us by Activision or anybody we sort of were set to do what we wanted to do and, and work on a game how, how we wanted it to, to play and feel. And, and that was a, you know, it was a, it was a nice experience, especially being the, the, you know, it was the first game I ever worked on. So yeah, that, that has to be number one. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, yeah. it, I, I could, I could totally understand why and why you say that, you know, it's funny nowadays, some people go back and they say they don't like, Tony Hawk one or two just because the mechanics are less and so forth and so on I always look back because I played since the demo of the first game myself and I always look back so fondly at those games and I'm like if you had played any of the garbage before that <laughs> I mean yeah. I'm not try- like you said the bar was low I'm not trying to, to harp on any former developers but if you played skate or die or you played any of those you know kind of older games um, yeah, or a street just, skater. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just oh, yeah. have to look at Tony Hawk One and go, "Oh, it, it definitely holds a near and dear uh, place other, in I my mean, heart other, for sure." Yeah, the other thing, I mean, which is a sort of a, I mean, for most games, it's a side note, but I think for for our game, it was up up, you know, up close and personal. Is the soundtrack? The the soundtrack of the first two games were undisputable. They were just amazing sort of soundtracks for what they were considering you had a CD that you're working with and you had to fit a whole game on it and then a whole soundtrack. Right. It, it was, it was sort of an amazing accomplishment. So those, those uh, memories, you know, it was the, those games were near and dear to me for sure. Love it. So I think you already touched on it, but you, so then your favorite uh, uh, Tony uh, all time Tony Hawk game to play is two. two. Okay. Yeah. Two for sure. I mean, it, it sort of, I, I'm, you know, and I'll probably get hated by the by by people out there that are, you know, the the two million or five million or twenty million point combo people. But for me, it wasn't about doing twenty million point combos. It was really more or less, you know, doing a a line like a skate trick, like how a skate uh, how a skate trick would pro- progress in a um, a video, and doing a specific line and hitting this and that and that, and then eventually having an end not having an end, you know, two minutes after the game, (laughs) the game timer ends. But I also appreciated those people too. I mean, I I wasn't able to do that kind of stuff, but, but I was able to appreciate it from people that that were, but so that's why at two, you, you didn't have the revert and you didn't have a lot of the things that would kind of link tricks into doing these gigantic combos. Yeah. So for me, that was sort of a, it was a level, you know, it, it leveled out the plane a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well said. So what would you say was the favorite, uh, your favorite level from all of the Tony Hawk games? Yeah, I mean, it would probably be either, I mean, I, I, I there's a couple of ways of saying it. Okay, they're, they're, I loved, like, School 2. Yeah. And, and, you know, it had a lot of different areas in it that reminded me and, and were taken directly from skate videos that, I just, that to me was what was in, you know, for in my head, I I really enjoyed when some, uh, a place was recreated that I saw an escape video or saw some pro doing a line at. Um, So that was really cool. And then, 
you know, real life places like like Skate Street. You know, we used to, we used to go. Joel used to rent out Skate Street, and we would go skate there. So it was it was always cool seeing things like that in Marseille. Um, or I, you know, just this this summer I took a an RV trip around around the the U.S. and um, we went down to Love Park and just seeing Love Park is and, and knowing just knowing Love Park digitally from the video game, but then going to see it and going, oh wow, I really recognize these places. Those were the most kind of impactful for me. Oh, that's cool. The real-life spots uh, seem to be your favorite as opposed to, well, I mean, yeah. you know, it seems like you guys mashed up so much of, you know, you took, you would take even in kind of a, a, a virtual level like school too, but you took some famous spots to yeah, yeah. incorporate into there. So it's kind Mash of a mashup up. of everything it, realistic as, you know, where Marseille would be, you know, after a real skate park, so. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the one cool thing about Marseille is it was it was a real skate park, but then you had that, you know, that secret area that that yes. was created by the designer and that was sort of a a nod to you. and and even though it's it's a secret, you know, it's a it's a real park, it it's constantly changing like the graffiti that was there when we when we made it isn't there now and it's probably changed quite a bit from when it was. So but it it was always cool. Those the real skate spots were always for me like you know love park uh you know those were always really cool places that that um that i enjoyed you know skating in the game and then checking out in real life and going whoa this is this is um you know it's, it's kind of like you feel like you were there already yeah for sure huh, i love it <clears throat> uh so what would you say uh out of every i mean i don't know how much i'm sure you play the games a lot but i don't know exactly how much but out of your out of all of the game modes that you guys were able to come up what's your favorite game mode that that uh you played in so the the one that i played the, that internally at neversoft with people and with my friends and family and stuff with was horse you know and and then when you were able to change the the letters to whatever you wanted, you know, obviously that that opened the doors to a lot of very unique yeah. <laughs> combinations of what <laughs> what horse could be. Sure. So I mean that that was always for me that was always the most that, that was fun. I, I enjoyed doing the the you know the the turn base. I'm gonna go, you go, and we try and up one up each other. So I I, I really I always enjoyed that aspect of it, but. You know, second to that would probably have been the um, the uh, the park editor. It was it was really cool being able to create your own parks and lay down your own and event. You know, as it grew and grew, lay down your own gaps and lay down all that kind of stuff. Um, that would probably be a close second. Well, if I wasn't a fan of yours already, Ralph, you just I'm just a bigger fan now. That's my favorite <laughs> thing to do in Tony Hawk games is build creative parks. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was just you could do whatever you wanted, right? Yes, you could make absolutely you know, you could do whatever you, and, and at, at some point it was just like we even let you do things that broke the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> we gave you a lot of freedom. Yeah, for sure. That's what I loved. I always thought that it, the, the, the creative park always extended the longevity of the games as well, you know, because, I mean, well, I always said there's only so many times you could play a regular level, but people have proven me wrong. People are still playing those levels today. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> creative yeah, parks yeah. gave you kind of that uh, creativity and be able to expand it and uh, kind of create your own stuff for some new stuff to see. Yeah. So I love that part. And then you can even create, like, something super, like, just stupid easy, just like a gigantic half pipe. If that's all you wanted to mess around with and, and you could just 
mess around in a half pipe for as long as you wanted to. And and that was sort of the, the cool thing about that, that mode is I could just, I could create one gigantic rail and just do a bunch of different combo tricks on that rail. And, yeah. and so I, I, that, that was one of the things I liked about it. Love it. So yeah. we're going to move on into some more specific questions concerning your time at Neversoft. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, sure. First of which is in late 1998, what led to you getting hired at Neversoft? Okay, so I was friends with I was friends through friends with Joel, the um, Joel Jewett, the the president of Neversoft, and I had known him for probably uh, at least a couple of years before he had even landed the 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 two licenses that that he got. One was for for the Tony Hawk, the small video game, the small skateboarding game. And the other was for the bigger licensed Spider-Man game. So we, I, I knew him, we, we hung out, we went on um, through family, you know, we went on like different camping trips. And I always talked to Joel about his video game company and, and he went through a lot of hard times. I mean, Never, Neversoft went through a lot of hard times in trying to make it. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of a, a risk that Joel took in, in the ups and downs. And in talking to Joel, I told him how, interested I was in video games from a, from a user perspective. Like I said, I, I, I was an arcade kid, so I played tons and tons of arcade games, and I was a PC gamer forever. And when Joel had the, the opportunity, when he got the, you know, it started doing well at Neversoft, and he got a couple of different titles that he was, you know, Activision gave him. One was the 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 spider-man license and the other was the the uh skateboarding video game he called me up and asked me if i had wanted to you know if i had thought about switching careers because at that time i was a i was a sales executive i worked for a, i mean i i worked for a bunch of different i i was a, i had done sales for a, a number of different companies that by that time after college i was established i owned a house i I was doing fine in sales, but Joel reached out and asked if I had wanted to kind of switch up careers and think about working for a video game company. And I kind of jumped at the opportunity and I, and I went down to Neversoft and we had an interview and I interviewed with Joel and Mick and Chris, who were the three people who, um, who owned Neversoft at the time. And the thing I think that got me the job was I had a very deep knowledge in computers and how to how to build PCs, how to run computer networks back then before you had, you know, things like Gmail, you had to run your own mail mail server and you know, you you, you had to you had to do a lot more things back then from an IT's perspective and I knew all of that stuff. So that was one of the things I think that Mick, Mick West, who is the lead um programmer, the lead developer and partner at, at Neversoft, he thought that he could offload a lot of that responsibility onto me sure. um, along with, you know, along with helping with the, any production duties that were necessary. So yeah, I, I had an opportunity. Joel called me and said, Hey, do you want to come and work for us? And I said, yes. <laughs> and, wow. I, and, I, and I totally jumped careers and, and started working on video games. That's amazing. You go from a completely different world into into the world of video games, and, and uh, I'm sure that was probably quite a drastic, like, wow, this is – I'm sure it was very different, <laughs> the two jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely different, and I was completely over my head. Like, I had no <laughs> idea what, what, what the hell I was doing. Like, yeah, I thought – I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I can – 
because I had run, even though I was a sales guy, I was selling um, very technical back then we were selling, this is like pre-internet. So I was selling like connectivity for, for different companies to connect their sales force back to home. And so I was very, I was, I was running very technical teams. So he understood that I had a, a knowledge of being able to, 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 you know, produce. And I knew video games from a user perspective, but I was completely clueless on how they were made. So sure. it was, I was, yeah, I was completely under, I was underwater as soon as I started. <laughs> uh, that's, that's interesting. So how large was the Neversoft team when you first started working there? It was probably at that time, uh, I would say around, say around 15 to 20 because it split off because half had to, you know, there was a good amount of the team that had to go off and work on the Spider-Man project. Right. The rest of us worked on the, the Tony Hawk project. And at the end of, of development, there were probably 14 total that were on the Tony Hawk uh, one development team. And the rest were working on the Spider-Man project. And so they were just constantly hiring for that project, you know, and it, it, it grew. The, the, the team's constant was from when I started it, there, it, every, every, it seemed like every week there were new people joining and joining and joining and, and coming on board because of how, um, how much of a demand there was for, for what we were doing and how the, you know, the, the development of the Tony Hawk game was going so well and we needed you know, we needed to, to fill in whatever shoes we needed. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a, that. That was a question that we had um, had tossed about. But so it sounds like you didn't actually work on the Spider-Man game. You you ended up because there was two teams separate. So the Spider-Man yeah. team worked on Spider-Man, and then the Tony Hawk team worked on Tony Hawk. Yeah, I mean, I gave I gave feedback on things. I play sure. tested it and gave, but I was not. You know, and I think I. I think if there, I may have gotten credited for being on or, or whatever, but I, I didn't work on that. And, and aside from helping on IT, you know, and, and keeping their team connected and the, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, it wasn't much, much more than, than uh, technical support. No, not, not much more than that. Got it. So had, had you actually heard of Tony Hawk prior to working on the games? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I... I skated a little bit when I was a kid. I and when I say skated, when I was a kid, it was it was really just pushing a, a plastic skateboard around. If you didn't want to ride your bike, you know, it wasn't like doing tricks or anything. I'm talking the the mid to late '70s and then the early '80s. So yeah. it it wasn't like that that kind of what, what what people think about. But I did watch. You know, I watched the Bones Brigade videos. Yeah. I knew Tony Hawk. I watched X Games. I, you know, I knew a lot of the guys. I knew, I knew Caballero. I knew Soy. I knew, I knew a lot of the names, but it wasn't like, I, I, I wasn't a skater at all. I, I skateboarded. I, I did, I, I did have a skateboard pretty much from, I would say from uh, third grade to, to you know, to junior high or so. I always had a skateboard around, but I nice. never considered myself a skater. Yeah. Because it was just a you know alternate form of transportation. I never did tricks at all. <laughs> you could put you could pedal yourself around and kind of cruise down the yeah. sidewalks, but that was about the extent of it, huh? Jumping off a curb that was a trick. You know, you know, tic tacking up a <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That was a trick. That that's what I considered a trick. When I worked at NeverSoft, you know, we we had that, and I don't know, we'll probably get there, but 
we had that half pipe that event that started at Joel's and then it eventually came over to my house. And that was sort of the end of my, my skating is when I, when I, when I try to trick. Thirties. Yeah. That, that doesn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's pretty late to start skateboarding for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's some people that, you know, I mean, obviously Hawk's over 50 now and he's, he's still skating, but he started very young too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to rock and roll fakie when you're like, you know, early 30s, not a great idea. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so eventually you became a producer for Nanosoft. Can you describe in more detail what, what, what's that job? What does producer mean for those who may not understand? What does your kind of day-to-day uh, look like? So producer for, for a video game is day-to-day is always different. So the But the main goal is pushing and making sure that the project is is delivered on time that that is the ultimate job of the producer that the job that that the project is done it's done well you know the the um, quality control is up it's done on time and everybody's happy about what they're doing so at the beginning you know when you have a small team of of 14 people and i told you i w- i came in as a producer shortly after i was underwater we brought in Scott. Scott Pease came in from Activision. He had been a, a producer for quite a while. He then pretty much, I mean, he taught me a lot of different things about the ins and outs of being a producer. By the, by the last project I worked on, there were probably, I want to say seven, six to, six to seven producers. Wow. And then maybe three or four, um, maybe a few, maybe five to six producers and then three or four associate producers under them because the, the game became, was so big, you know, it just, there's so much detail in it and each level required so much detail and each thing had so much detail. But I mean, gen- and generally a producer would be responsible for a specific aspect of the game nowadays. In the past, the producer was responsible for the entire game from start to finish and every aspect of it. But now it's, you know, it became specific aspects of it. So if it was character art or licensing or the soundtrack or animation or um, programming, whatever it was, you would be assigned specific parts of the game as a producer. And those were parts of the game that you had to manage and make sure things were getting done on the schedule that was kept by, you know, there was an overall schedule for the entire project. So that's sort of what the producer did. And they made sure that, you know, things were, were either kept on schedule or they were, the schedule was adjusted to, to meet what, you know, whatever, you know, because a lot of the things we're doing and, and that developers are doing, it, it hasn't been done before. So you might think, okay, well, this is going to only take me two weeks to do. But then you get in the middle of it and you're like, wow, this this is not two weeks. This is a six-week project. And so then you have to decide as a producer, okay, is it worth us spending the extra four weeks for this or do we have to cut it back? Right. And so, you know, that that's sort of what the job of the producer is, constantly updating. And then when you have multiple, multiple producers on the team, it's also constantly updating all the other producers and then eventually the executive producer who is then the person who is responsible for the entire schedule of it to make sure, hey, this is, these are the updates. This is what's going on. And, 
you know, so it's, it's sort of a management level between the people that are actually working on all the different aspects of the video game and the publisher who needs to get a game out by a specific time because they have a lot of money stacked up against advertising on this date. Sure. It, you, it sounds like you're, you really ha- have to be a, you got to carry a heavy whip in that job. <laughs> keep the yeah, groups whipped into no. shape, right? And keep them on task yeah. and on track. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I always say that, you know, there's the there's a stick, there's a stick guy and there's the carrot guy, right? There's the carrot producer and the stick producer. The stick producer will just take a stick and keep on hitting you over the head and hitting you over the head. But that only goes so far, right? Yeah, sure. Then there's the carrot. Then there's the carrot producer who will stick a carrot out, and once you get done, they'll give you the carrot and give you some. Hey, here you go. You you did it. You congratulations. And then, oh, by the way, there's another one next week. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think that for me, you get people. If people feel like everybody's on the same team and everybody's going through the same kind of hurt, it, yeah. it works a lot better than than beating people over the head. I love it. That's, that, that's my style. That's good advice. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. who were some of your favorite people that you worked with during your time at Neversoft? Uh, this is, yeah, this is a tough one. <laughs> you know, I mean. You don't want to leave anybody out, I'm sure. But uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, obviously one of my absolute favorite from the get-go was Mick. Mick West taught me more about video games than than anybody. He was nice. the um, – you know, the, the, the lead programmer and owner of Neversoft. And he, um, he kind of was in my eyes was sort of the heart and soul of the Tony Hawk video game franchise. He was the one that sort of defined all of the, the physics and how things should feel and, and all of that stuff. So for me, he is sort of the, you wouldn't have THPS without Mick. If Mick was, you, you couldn't really substitute him. So, but, you know, then I have, there are so many other different guys that are, that are friends, you know, like Chris Roush is a friend. He was just at my house just a couple, a few days ago, you know, oh, so he's cool. a really great friend of mine and we'll always be friends. And there tons of guys on the original teams that, that, that I'm friends with on Facebook. And, you know, it, it's, it's always hard to say who's the favorite and all of that. But for me in my head, if you're to pick like, the top dog, the guy that made THPS the way it is, that has to be Mick West. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard lots of good things about Mick from lots of people, and uh, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of cool input in the documentary as well. Yeah, he and he was amazing. I mean, he, um, it was, it was, we were really lucky to get his time. We tried a, a couple different times, and then by chance he was he was down here in LA at a point in time where we were able to get him and and I had to make it happen you know yeah. <laughs> he's a great guy to, to talk to for sure that's cool yeah. so how long did it take you guys to land on the formula that eventually became Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 was was that title turned around in a year or did you have longer a longer period of time to deliver that no well i mean you know i started i like i said i i started in um in December of 98, I know they had had been working on sort of the demo for at least six to eight months before that. Um, So they were, they kind of had been working on things before I started. Then when I started, we were, we continued to work on things. We had a, um, across the street from Neversoft was a a bowling alley and we had a, a, they had an arcade 
and the arcade had a top skater. I don't know if you guys remember top skater. Absolutely. Played it lots yeah. and lots of times. Many yeah. quarters came out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had a top skater and we would go over there and film. I mean, we would film it and, and just, just for reference and see what they were doing. And, and so there was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of tweaking here back and forth for quite a while before it, before it kind of got to the point, you know, we were thinking for a while that it was going to be a, an A to B kind of race game, sort of similar to the, the street skater. You guys familiar with that as well, yeah. that, mm -hmm. that, that came out first. So th that was sort of the initial idea, but, you know, and we talk about this in the documentary, it, it, it became clear once you got from that A to B and you got dropped down into something that was like a skate park, that was where you wanted to be the whole time. You didn't even remember the A to B stuff. Right. So it, it, it changed quite a bit, but, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a, you know, it was a progression. It was definitely wasn't like, all right, we have it from the get go, you know, for right from the beginning. Cause I think if, if you would have said that right at the beginning, it would have been more of a, a racing skating game. Um, like, uh, you know, just a downhill sort of thing, sort of like the, but I, you know, and that's the thing. I also like the downhill jam. That's, I love that level. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's one of those things where you can't really consistently do that in a skate format and, and appease a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, I like to. I like kind of those linear levels too. Mall sounds like a good example. Yeah, Mall's that, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, so this has been talked about a lot of times, but the Tony Hawk uh, franchise has always maintained a certain. Uh, I'm using air quotes here. Feel. It's hard to explain or really pinpoint what exactly that means. But was this all something that you focused on early, or was it simply how the controls ended up becoming uh, becoming coupled with the physics engine and so forth? Yeah, I think as a as a matter of the control, how the controls became coupled with the physics engine, and it got tied into each other so well, you know. And and when you have an engine, when a specific physics engine and a specific game engine that's built for a specific purpose, it it you know it it makes it a little bit easier when you're making the next iteration. You don't have to worry a lot a lot about, oh, are we really? Is it feel the same way as it did before? That was one of the, the nice things is whenever we started a new video game, we didn't really have to think about, oh, the, the physics, are, are, is everything like really the way it did, it felt before. It always kind of felt the way it did before, you know? And, and, and so when you, and, and that was a part of the whole Neversoft engine, um, you know, that, that it, it, it was something homegrown. So, and it was made specifically for the, for the Hawk, not specifically, but it ended up being customized specifically for the hot game. So yeah, it, it always had that feel and, and it, it was always, it, it was, it was kind of that you not, that's why it, it, this is one of the things that made it difficult for me to start playing other skate games Yes, is that that control, you know, <laughs> that control scheme is so embedded in my mind and in my fingers and everything that I can't play other games because <laughs> it, it just, it's just difficult. I'm you like, and oh. me both. You and me both. Yeah, you ruined so all skate games. And I know. Games. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> you know. Maybe not ruined all skate games. You you <laughs> you it made it made so it that difficult. Tony Hawk is what I always want to play and always want to have that yeah. control scheme like. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, you go to the options. You're like, oh, they don't have an option to change. 
to the hawk controls that sucks yeah exactly <laughs> throw this one out <laughs> but some of them that you play like skate like there's no way it would work that way the, right. the way they're a thing it just wouldn't work but for me that game i just couldn't play interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tony hawk's pro skater one uh it became hugely acclaimed by critics and players alike scoring a 92 on metacritic did you all have any idea what kind of lightning in a bottle you had on your hands, or were you shocked by how successful it was? No, we were pretty. I mean, we were pretty shocked at how big it became. the The only thing that gave us any two things gave us an indication. One was we started bringing in focus testers to test the the game and to give us an you know to give us feedback on on things and. And we weren't getting a lot of negatives. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of it's a good thing. It also kind of sucks because you want to you want some feedback and, and we're not, oh, this is rad, I don't change anything. It's you know, it's kind of difficult. So that that was one of the first indications when we were bringing on bringing kids in to, to test the game. The second thing is when the when the um, demo came out. Right. When the you know, when the demo came out, the, the, the jam pack demo and the, the pizza demo before that, and it was just like people want to play the Hawk game, and there's a Final Fantasy game on there. Yeah, that's like, a good point. Why are they talking about this Hawk game when there's a Final Fantasy? So that kind of cute, but you still never know until the game is out in the public. But, you know, just knowing that those demos did so well we had a good idea and, and and then knowing that our focus testers were just, Oh my gosh, overwhelmingly giving us so many good, you know, so much good feedback. It was, it was very difficult to change anything like to talk to designers go, you, you know, you, you have fo focus testers come in and they play the game for two and a half, three hours and you're getting all just glowing reviews. Right. What do you what do you tell the designer? You know, <laughs> yeah, don't don't change anything. Yeah, don't do a <laughs> don't do a single thing. <laughs> Finish it up. Finish it up, dude. Yeah. Right. Right. Put the polish on it and ship it. Yeah. So that's kind of when we we felt kind of thought we, uh, you know, and then you know when it when I think the big thing that was the whole lightning in a bottle is is when. Tony Hawk 2, and I might be jumping ahead, but when Tony Hawk 2 came out and it was number one and Tony Hawk 1 was number two and we had clinched the number one and number right. two spots for video games and it was just like, okay, yeah, we got, we got some stuff here. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to make, we're going to be making some Tony Hawk games for a while. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that's kind of, uh, that's kind of when it changed a little bit. Yeah, I love it. But you never knew. Oh, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. You put your stuff out there for the whole world to see, and you kind of wonder. Is this yeah, gonna, you never this know. Good. Sure. Yeah, it could end next next year. It could be the next last one. You know, you never know. Sure. Uh, so the audience of this podcast is largely comprised of of really hardcore players, people that have played for years and years. They've been in and around the game since the very beginning, a lot of them, uh, many all the way through today. Uh, did you guys take into account at all the voices of the more hardcore players over the course of the series? Yeah, I mean, that that was one of the things that made the series a little bit difficult to kind of balance is, you know, you, we we knew there were always going to be new people that came onto the series, right? So regardless of, of what you, you know, when you start, 
for whatever you do, right? If it's, if it's a video game or if it's a film, you're going to have people who come in the middle of it. And right. video games more, more often than not. And with video games, unlike films, people don't go, oh, Godfather 3 is out. I'm just gonna. I, I'm just gonna go see that. No, they're gonna go. I'm gonna. I, I better go see one and two before I go see. But that's not the way video games work. Some, sometimes, especially when you have games that change names, like you had Tony Hawk one, Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater one through four, and then after that it changed to Thug, and then Thug two, and and then you know you might have people that come on right, that are as few players right at at Tony Hawk's underground. And so how do you make the game fresh for people who have been playing it for four years and, and know all of the ins and outs of the game and, and how to play it and, and, you know, how to score a million point combos, multi-million point combos, but then also keep it fresh for people who this is the first game they've ever played. Right. And so that was a huge challenge. And so you saw a lot of the different, levels and for for goals you had you know the the gold you know the silver bronze gold whatever you had different levels of goals but it was it was a different sort of it was definitely a different sort of uh thing than most other games where you know you you have a linear linear progression with a new story or you know what have you we had to deal with this we added on from from tony ox underground we added on story but then we also had players who were just an amazing player. And then we also had people, this is the first game they, they ever played. So yeah. how do you make it something that both can progress through? And that balance was, was hugely difficult. Oh, it I was, a, yeah, it was a huge <laughs> difficult. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So one of the earliest gathering places for fans of the series is the now infamous Delphi Forums. Your name is listed as the owner of these forums. Uh, what made you decide, decide to start up a place for people to come together and talk about the games? You know, we started getting tons and tons and tons of email. And uh, we always put an email address in the credits and, and, we always, and people would just email. And back then, there wasn't there you know you didn't have facebook you didn't have instagram you didn't have twitter you had nothing there were no real social networks so for me it was one of those things i was answering every single email that came in every single one oh my and one gosh. of the reasons I, <laughs> one of the reasons i did that was as a kid i you know i played atari and atari there was a time i sent them some you know broken controllers and they just they sent back a new whole bunch of new controllers. They totally styled me. So that was sort of my uh, just a, an example of what to do to, to to customers. And when kids or anybody would email me, regardless of what they had, I would always email them back. And now, granted, I had a gigantic list of you know uh, of you know canned responses of things I could copy and paste. And, sure, you know, just generic. <laughs> But every once in a while, we actually got a lot of really good responses and we got some good feedback from people. And, and for kids like that and people like that, I would actually send I would send them um, uh, stickers, autograph stickers and things. So it got it got bigger and bigger during Tony Hawk one. And I was like, we need a place for everybody, all these people to kind of get together in an area. And there weren't 
there weren't there, there was no there were no social networks there weren't anything like that there, nothing existed right except for delphi and i and i kind of checked out delphi and i looked at it and i saw what they were doing and saw that you could kind of create these threads and and people could talk to each other and i thought well that that would be a cool place to just have everybody come and and if i can't get to what their questions are other people in the community could you know and it was before its time and and so i I created a Delphi and that's just, it was just one of those things. I was at Neversoft. Hey, I think I'm going to do this. Yeah, go ahead do it. So we did. <laughs> <laughs> it was as simple as that. Well, I can yeah. tell you from my perspective, Delphi is one of the places that I, that was one of the first places I went to talk to Tony Hawk and I still have an account there today. I, uh, there's, there's nobody on there really. I made a thread no. like, early last week no response that's what i'm showing on on stream right now <laughs> so it's yeah. definitely not active but it still exists today which is crazy to me 21 years <laughs> later so yeah i mean i was i never i know i still own it like i still have gone back to it every couple you know every now and then yeah and nice every once in a while i was like oh maybe i should close it i'm like why close it just leave it up it's been there forever you know and just leave it going yeah there's some but good history just, in there too i mean the music oh, yeah. thread has like a hundred thousand yeah <laughs> posts and in that thread time, or something it became it became like the biggest community on delphi which at the in the day you know who knows what delphi is now but back in the day delphi was it was a big thing and yeah. there were there were quite a number of people and for me i was like hey this is a good place to offload a lot of the Q and A and people could go there and get answers for things and Hey, go to Delphi and check out, you know, check out the stuff they have there. And yeah, it was, it was easy. Yeah. That's genius. I love it. It's so yeah. much before it's, I, I agree though. Delphi at the time, I mean, not even just for Tony Hawk, but overall, it was almost like Reddit really, you know, it was kind <laughs> yeah. of separated, but Reddit of today was Delphi back then. So yeah, cool. That's, yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. So after Delphi, did you visit uh, TXO or Planet Tony Hawk, any of those forums to get a feel for how the games were received by fans? Yeah, I mean, we always went to Planet Tony Hawk and TXO. We always went to those to kind of, and eventually we would, you know, when when emails came in, I would send people to those. Like, hey, go. They they have all the information you need, and then some over there. Sure, just go check them out. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a nice place to offload, and I'm they sure they like, wrote your trip you know, tips for you, especially Planet Tony yeah, Hawk. Slate Man, Trevor Slate Man. He's he's a I'm friends with him still. He's I was it was it was great. It was you know just because there was so much information. If anybody needed any kind of help or anything, I could just send them over there, and, and I knew they would be well taken care of, and there was a wealth of information that they could get out of there. That's awesome. Yep. So the the accolades that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 received are still very impressive. Best PS1 game of 2000, rave reviews across the board. Uh, could the team have ever thought that you can not only meet but exceed the expectations on a second title? No, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, I, I you know, there were things that we wanted to get done in the first one that we just didn't have time to finish in the in the, you know, the deadline that we had. So we knew we had we had some things and the big I, I think the big thing the big couple of things were the manual that that added hugely to the gameplay the um the create a skater and then the the park the you know, level editor the park editor the creative park whatever you want to call it yeah. those three things were were three things that we had thought about and wanted to do but couldn't get to 
so but we had no idea that hey we're we're gonna add these three things and it's gonna it's gonna launch our score up to yada yada that was not our intention we just we just kind of wanted to one up ourselves and and bring the the user experience to a different level and and just make people as happy as they were with the first one and just keep i mean honestly for me as it was always let's just keep this going so we can do another one and do another one and do another one oh, <laughs> nice. as long as we could keep doing another one i was i was stoked i was like hey we can keep this going and do another one and keep on going and and you know even as even as the you know it wasn't reaching as high as it did before like in the later you know series it was still nice to know hey we're still even though we're not hitting what pro skater 2 or pro skater 3 did we're still hitting a level that most video games will never reach you know uh, most video games don't succeed i mean that's that's sort of the there are tons of video games out there that you don't know that have never succeeded Sure. So it's kind of nice to be in in that category, regardless of what what area of the curve you're at, um, and, and to know that people are still enjoying what you're making. Definitely, I think somebody said it. Maybe it was in a documentary, but they talked about how Pro Skater Two kind of ended up really being what you guys wanted Pro Skater One to be. It was kind of the culmination of that. You're able to add the extra features and whatever else. I don't know if that's truly accurate, but I, I remember hearing that somewhere. Yeah, that's Scott. Scott okay. Pease. Yeah, that's what he said, and then that's totally true. I mean, if we would have had, if we would have had it, but thank, thankfully we didn't have additionally additional time because we were we were able to wrap that into and give people a taste of what the actual skateboarding game that we wanted to make was, which is why two is my favorite. Love it. Yeah. So. We're going to keep going here, and let's talk yep. about Pro Skater 3 a little bit. Uh, it, Pro Skater 3 was one of the first games to re be released on PlayStation 2. Games in general, period. It was one of the very first. Um, it's, it was a launch title. Was the team excited to work on the next-gen hardware? Or uh, we would assume it didn't come without its own set of challenges. I, I always heard PS2 dev kits were notoriously challenging to work on. Yeah, they were not the easiest thing in the world, and they were beasts. They were huge, and to ship them back and forth, like the Sony, was ridiculous. The cost of of going back and forth, and you know, we had just come off of like like I said, the NeverSoft engine. But when we went to Pro Skater Three, we didn't have a quote unquote NeverSoft engine anymore, and we were on a new PlayStation Two that our engine that worked on PlayStation One just wouldn't work on work with. So we, um, yeah, so we used a, um, I can't remember. I believe I'm fairly sure. I'm like 99% sure it's called RenderWare that we used. That was the engine that we used at the time, but we also did a lot of modifications to that, to that engine. And so it was a huge challenge to get pro skater three working properly on the PlayStation two, not, not so not just from a single, you know, game that that's working independently on a new platform with a brand new engine, but also given that it was the first real PlayStation game, I think I can say that that ever was online. We 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 brought Pro Skater Three online before the the PlayStation Two network adapter was out. Yep. So Absolutely. that was a, another huge accomplishment that was done in that in that game that that um, 
you know, I think is, is you know, goes without saying the, the amount of complexity in getting people online to play each other on a, on a, on a new console. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that actually ties into our next question, which is uh, one of the major elements of Pro Skater 3 was that it, it did include online multiplayer. And this was before the official PlayStation Network adapter was released. Uh, did you all include online play knowing the adapter would not be released? Or were you under the impression the adapter would have been released sooner? No, we knew that the adapter was not going to be released. We we knew it wasn't. Um, and so we we started going out and and looking for other um, USB adapters that would work because we, you know, the the place, PS2 had a USB um, had a USB connector on the back of it. So we started going out and looking for USB network adapters that we thought might work. And it was Steve Gannam was the the programmer that was programming the the network um, functionality, and I was working with him to basically go out and find every single network adapter on the market that I could find every USB network adapter. Wow. Now, granted, this is before Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Way before Amazon. Yeah. So I was going out on just just every different, you know, internet site that I could find. And this was also a little bit before internet security. So I was finding and buying <laughs> all of these just random internet adapters from China and and all over the world finding and and it really boiled down to about three or four different chipsets so no matter what we found what no matter what adapter we bought it was it was one of three different chipsets and if we could if we could write the driver not we if steve could write the drivers for those three chipsets then we knew we could have a handful of adapters that we could tell people to go out and you know and and buy right and so that's kind of how that whole multiplayer thing came about. It, it was sort of, you know, we knew it was going to be, you know, it was going to be a, a, they weren't going to be done in time. We, we knew we could provide network capabilities. So we sort of gorillaed it and did our own thing <laughs> and, That's and awesome. it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I mean, there, we, we, we talk with lots of people that were uh, PlayStation three USB ethernet adapter users and there was a really tight-knit community of players of tony hawk that formulated around that and a lot of them are still friends today i, I think that they were like oh we're on the cutting edge you know and there weren't uh, as many as when the official network adapter came out but that was a group of players that you know really formulated some some great relationships and just got to experience tony hawk online before anybody else so that's pretty neat yeah, I mean, and we just wanted to we wanted to share what we were doing with other people, and and we didn't want to wait on. I mean, the, the their adapter was supposed to be out; they delayed it, so we were like, ah, we'll figure out another way. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So it's always been rumored that NeverSoft team members would go online under fake names to ask questions for gameplay, etc. Can you confirm or deny? What do you consider a fake name? I mean, I you know, is is Dode <laughs> right. is Dode a fake name? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like, like, how do you consider a fake name? I mean, I would definitely. I mean, we would all go online here and there, and 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 a lot of times we'd actually play with play against each other, like after hours at work. Sure. Hey, let's go online. But there were times I would definitely go online and play with other people. But I always played under. Um, 
my name, like it was either Ralph D or I had a, one other name that I would go under. Um, but it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to do any kind of, you know, <laughs> covert. Off yeah. Right. Right. You were being a spy and like, intentionally. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't have to because you guys would tell us exactly what you were thinking online. At any <laughs> you given... didn't need to is what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I guess we are an honest lot, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't need to do that at all. I love no. it. <laughs> So Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4, it, it brought the first break from the traditional two-minute timer and classic goals. Did you all feel it was time to switch things up for, and overhaul what had been the main gameplay up to that point? Yeah, you know, it, it kind of needed a different change. And we, we had, you know, we had the technology at that time. And 4, we actually then went back and we had our own Mick over Mick over the summer wrote our own our own engine <laughs> oh really so he wrote he actually wrote the he took the the heavily modified renderware and he wrote uh, rewrote it as a, your very own engine yeah that's mick wow, I mean, I'm wow. Sure other people and other help but i'm i know mick probably was the majority of it so we had a lot of we had a lot of what we needed and we had the tools the develop the designers had the tools that they needed so, um, you know, we wanted to try something new and something different. And it, it just kind of that for the way, you know, the way you walked up to people and, and initiated goals. But then along the way, if you wanted to, you can go and just, you know, shred different places and get to know the area. It was, um, you know, I think that was that was heavily influenced by Chris Roush, one of the designers. And it was also sort of like influenced by skate videos and, you know, different things that we saw in skate videos and, and we thought, Hey, we can kind of like have just random people on a block. Hey, why don't you try this thing? And so, yeah, it was, you know, we wanted to kind of change it up a little bit and see what we could do and, you know, break the mold a little. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's no secret to our listeners that my favorite game of all time in the series, uh, one, like I said, holds a dear place in my heart, but four is my favorite of them all. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I love all the elements and aspects of it. So, um, and a lot of it has to do with the next question, which, which is the official PlayStation Network adapter comes out in August of, of 02, finally. Uh, it's just months before Tony Hawk 4 launches. So this, of course, brings an onslaught of players to the online world. Did you guys at Neversoft have to deal with that influx of traffic and use, or was that primarily the job of GameSpy, who uh, handled the online yeah, stuff? Yeah, not us at all. Yeah, okay. we offloaded all of that. That was, thankfully, that wasn't us. I will tell you an interesting story about this. Sure. That, um, that if you guys want to hear it, oh, I'm <laughs> probably eating the, eating the time, but we can keep going. Um, uh, so one of the not interesting things about this is, like I said, so we had in, in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, we had the USB adapter um, support, right? And so when 4 came out, as you mentioned, the network, the, the PlayStation network adapter came out. So, so we were, I mean, it was sort of, it wasn't like we were asked to, it was sort of written in the, um, the, the Sony, I can't remember what they called them now, but it was basically all of the, the, the bylaws of what you can and cannot do and yada, yada. You, we, we were, we were not able to have, we weren't supposed to have those USB adapter drivers in the video game anymore. We were not <laughs> supposed to support those USB devices anymore because of the official PlayStation Network adapter, which totally makes sense, right? Sure. They came out with their own thing. 
they don't want other developers to support any other things, whatever. And but the traditional NeverSoft way, we said, screw you, and we left them in. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did we, we we you know we support the PlayStation adapter, we just felt that we had this big population of people who had already bought these third-party adapters that. What we're gonna have another ga- game come out, and these people are gonna be hosed? No, cold, we're not right? gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna deal with that. So we left the they left the code in, and and yeah, kept on supporting those people. Interesting. So I, I guess I never thought about that before. It would make sense. They spent all that money on the hardware, and then all of a sudden support stops. So they they were out in the cold for any of those other yeah. games potentially, but you guys kept yeah. it in there. <laughs> yeah, we kept doing that. And, you know, eventually they would have to switch over because other video games that came out that supported the PlayStation Network adapter, they weren't supporting our, US, you know, those bastardized USB adapters that we were supporting. So if you wanted to play those, you would eventually. But we just felt, hey, these people for a year, they have already bought these adapters. Why would we leave them high and dry? And so we didn't. Sure. Yeah, we didn't. So, Ralph, I know you. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but I want to be respectful of your time. Do you still have a little bit of time yeah. to c- catch? Yeah, yeah. Let's questions? go. Let's keep, cool. yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. All right. Awesome. So, Tony Hawk's Underground One. It broke the string of the pro skater names. Was this just the next evolution of the game? Yeah, it was the next evolution, and you know the the fact that we started doing a story mode. You know, there was more of a story that evolved around it. It just it just sort of needed a breakout of. It didn't follow the same sort of recipe, even though four, you know, you, we changed up the way goals were triggered. The goals were very similar or they were takes off, take off of similar goals. Now we were we were introducing a story where you were just you were doing things to progress the story. So that sort of necessitated a, a new a new name. And that's how Underground came around came around. Nice. Uh, so we've done, this is our 36th interview we've done on the podcast. Would it surprise uh, you to hear that a very large percentage of these people cite Manhattan from Underground 1 as their favorite level of all the games? No, no. I mean, I, I, I also like that. That level is, is really cool. I mean, I, I like I like it as well. Um, it's it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I know a lot of people started later on in the series and Underground is their game. For people who... I think for for people like me that that are sort of at the beginning that started at the beginning, sometimes the the earlier games are near and dear. Right. Some some folks that started or kids that started a little bit later, Underground One seems to be their sort of mecca. You know. <laughs> yeah, and and it, that actually proves to be true from what it, just in the people that we've interviewed, it seems like a lot of people that kind of started later. Yeah. Underground One seems yeah. to be the one that they cite yeah, as a so favorite, much. and then yeah, earlier yeah. people, it's kind of all over the map. But huh, yeah, it's yeah. a very good point. Uh, so around the time Tony Hawk's Underground Two was released, Jackass was all the rage, and it seemed as though you all embraced that. Some didn't love the direction that it went with things like Mechanical Bulls, Jesse James, etc. In retrospect, would you have approached the game differently, or was it definitely the right decision at that time? You know, I mean, I think by Underground 2, we're just sort of trying to pull out all the stops. And, you know, Jackass thing was big and Bam was big. And, and you know, it, it it was sort of we were trying to open up. And I think the idea was let's keep on adding and adding and adding to the to the game. 
Um, my my opinion differed a little bit. I, I really wanted a, I, I would have really loved to have been able to go back to sort of core skateboarding and and nail down more styles and and you know different styles of different skaters and so forth. But these things definitely added you know mass market appeal and and you know just uh, some people loved them, some people hated them. I um I'm. Looking back, I'm a little in. I was back then. I was a little more critical and would have wanted more, wanted us to spend more time on, you know, the the sort of bringing it back to the roots of skateboarding. But now looking at it, you know, I understand why we did things and you know the marketing behind it, marketing opportunities, and and that becomes a big part of video games and especially you know especially today with with mobile video gaming, it's it's. It's almost more important that the monetization mechanism is more important than the game anymore. Yeah, and I and I think that was a bit of a taste of of Underground too. Hmm. That's an interesting take. I always yeah. wondered, you know, kind of why I ended up going in the direction for some of the reasons that we kind of posed in the question. But it sounds like you know definitely things do, and I, it, it's always made sense to me in 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 video games in general, you, you, you have to be driven. I mean, you have a publisher. They need to make money. They're going to try yep. to cue in on what is going to make the game profitable and successful. And sometimes that upsets hardcore fans and sometimes, you know, so, but it, at the end of the day, they're in business. They've got to make money. So, you know, I get it. It makes sense. I didn't love all the directions in underground too, if I'm being completely honest either, but uh, it makes sense to me why it did go that direction. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean, the end of the day, if anybody asks, like, "Hey, I wonder why that video game never got made again," <laughs> or <laughs> you know, it's just it's if it made money and if it was a money making vehicle, that's that's what it comes down to with publishers. If it's a money making vehicle, it's gonna it's gonna keep on getting creative. Yeah. I love it. All right, so America Wasteland is one of the first games ever to experience with an open-world concept. No lo loading screens for levels. Did that all turn out as you guys had hoped, or was it not fully realized until Project 8? No, I mean, it was a test on what we were doing, and it was a test on, on you know, testing the capabilities of the system. And the idea was really it would be great to have this gigantic world a la, you know, GTA and, and just be able to go from one area to another seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And so we were always trying to get to that, that kind of direction. And, you know, we're taking small steps. And I think, you know, even going back to four, that was sort of a direction that was sort of a step in that direction of, wouldn't it be cool if you were in this gigantic area that, that had a bunch of different changes and, and you can skate from one place to another and seamlessly go back and forth without any, load times and without going from a different level and so yeah we were, it was just another progression of the game yeah i i thought it was clever you know everybody it's it, i think now people look at it and you can tell the loading areas the tunnels that you use to get to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, section yeah, yeah. to section but you know at the time i still respected it hugely because i was like okay i i get what's going on here i understand it's preloading or whatever else but it's still really cool that i don't have to go back to the pause menu switch levels you know do all that i yeah. can just continue to play so yep yeah that was sort of what we were trying to get to is is that that gigantic world that you can go from one area to another and experience different things within it. Yeah. Love it. 
Tony Hawk's Project 8. It was yet again one of the first games on next gen for this time for PS3 and Xbox 360. How is working with the new hardware on those consoles different than the PS2? So that was the last game that I worked on. And to tell you the truth, it's a gigantic blur. (laughs) (laughs) Partially because I was, I was just heads down working on my specific area, which was mostly character art and uh, animation and the soundtrack and, and that, that bit. But, I, I do remember the, the gigantic leap in going to PS3 and Xbox 360 were, you know, there was just a much, much bigger bar on, on, on the, the level of art that you needed to do, for instance, the level of detail that you needed in each character, what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. So not only did we have to create in, you know, in, in nine months, not only did we have to create a Tony Hawk game, we had to do that with all of the, the now the detail and, and the, you know, a high frame rate and tricks had to look super realistic. And so it, it, it was a huge amount of work and, you know, doing a, a lot of different um, uh, motion capture, you know, uh, sessions with different skaters and just trying to get as much as we could in the time frame that we could. So it was a, it was a huge hurdle. And, and as it got bigger and bigger, it just became, you know, and that, that was, again, that was one of the last games I worked on primarily because it was, it was just such an undertaking and it was just like, okay, I see how this is going. And, and I was, I was much more happy when we were working on the PlayStation one versions of the Tony Hawk games. Um, so it was, it, it was a, it was a challenge. It was a, it was definitely a huge challenge. Yeah. I I can't even imagine the undertaking that it must have been to to get you know some of that stuff. It just must have been crazy. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know that's why like some of the things we we had to pare down some of the things and you know some of the areas, some of the bigger areas of of bugs that we got would have to get eliminated. Sure. Um, and you know that was that was how things got to where it was. So mm. yeah, it's tough. So were you involved in any of the other games released under the O2 line, Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX, Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer, any of that? Did, did you have any involvement? Were those completely different studios? Completely different studios. The only involvement I had was I would assist as, you know, as sort of back then as the producer and, and sort of the IT guy, I would assist them on getting access to our code because oh, okay. they would run off of our code and assets and stuff. So I would have, I would just assist them on, on how to get access to our code. And, you know, if they had builds, they would send it our way and, you know, I'd burn those and show it to people and, but not from a development perspective at all. Interesting. So most of those titles used your, your guys, the same engine, same code. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I didn't uh, realize would, that. And they would just sub in different character models, different animations, different. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's crazy. I didn't yep. realize that. I, I knew they felt similar, but I didn't know it was using the exact same engine. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, there we are again. Back to the feel, right? It's all about the feel. feel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's why it all felt the same. That's why the O2 line, like all of those, the Matt Hoffman, the Kelly Slater had used our code. The, the, um, um, was it the Sean Palmer? The, you know, the, yeah. all of those. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Even that 
Disney Skate used our code. I knew that. I knew Disney <laughs> Skate Adventure used your code, but I wasn't. I didn't know for sure about those. That other was times. one of my. That was one of my favorites because in that game, if you notice, each character has their own specific style, which means that they did animations specific. We're like in in, and this is geeking out a little bit, but in Pro it. Skater, any kickflip that you do, if if Muska does a kickflip or. Or, or Jamie does a kickflip, or Tony does a kickflip. It's the same kickflip, right? Same kickflip animate, run kickflip animation, whatever, right? <laughs> right. In the background, for Disney, each of their skaters like they had their own tricks that were unique to them, that was their own style because they kind of had to. That to me is what I would have wanted to get to with the with the Hawk series, where you truly captured. Because I can tell when I see when I see a vert skater versus when I see Tony skating vert, I, and if even if it's a silhouette, I know that's Tony Hawk sure. because of his style, and I know that's that's you know Muska because of his style, and I know that's so if they if we would have been able to, but that's I mean you know you're doubling every every skater has to have their own unique set of animations, which you need more than a year to do. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, and I didn't realize in Disney's, huh? They all have their all have their in, entire lineup. There may be a couple of tricks that share, but they have a lot of unique animations for each character. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. <clears throat> so, NeverSoft's Western game, Gun, that was a big departure from Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Was it a welcome relief after working on skateboarding games for so long? So, I didn't I didn't work on Gun from a production standpoint. I was, while Gun was being produced, I was still producing. I mean, we were still doing a Tony Hawk game every year. So we were still, I was still on the Tony Hawk team. The only thing I ever did for Gun was do a little play testing and give some feedback. That was really about it. So I didn't, um, I didn't do much. I, I liked it. I mean, I'm, I was a big fan of it. Um, I, it would have, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of the Red Dead series for sure. I played, I played through the last one, the whole, I don't know how many hours of, of my life I spent playing through that, that story, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a big fan of it, but I never, I never did much work on it as far as production. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I loved Gun yeah. too. I thought it was so vast. I love Spider-Man as well. I, I always like yeah, the games that you game. guys did that, that were, you know, obviously love Tony Hawk, but really, really liked those other ones too. So. <laughs> yeah, fun games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, do you have any interesting stories that maybe you could share? That uh, maybe some ideas, features, concepts, etc., that got left on the cutting room floor, things that just didn't work out, or you ran out of time to incorporate or include in any of the games? Yeah, I mean, the only, most here's the thing. I mean, most of the things that we didn't include in the previous game, they became sort of our punch list for the next game. <laughs> so just like I mean, just like the manual, like we didn't get to include that in the first game. That was one of the first things we started working on for the next game. And so then towards the end of the second game, we realized, okay, so now your 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 trick string is done after you hit a vert. So we have to, you know, we have to kind of give vert and street equal, you know, equal, you know, <laughs> equal time. So sure. how do we increase so then we added the revert and that sent then so there was always there was always a line of things that we didn't get to, and it, it, that even that went for everything, whether it was tricks, whether it was levels, whether it was whatever we we did. It, there were always things that sort of 
were the punch list for what we started with for the next game. And then sometimes they, they would drop off because it was like, okay, we tried this. It didn't work. You know, just let's kill it. It's not, it's not going to work. Sure. And sometimes it did. And sometimes it was like, okay, Hey, let's, let's keep, let's keep going with this. This is a, a way to go. And it would, you know, it would, it would constantly be for the next. So there isn't anything in my head that I was like, except for like what I said, the one thing I would have loved to have done was to give each skater their own specific style. So when Tony, you, you got Tony's kickflip versus Steve Caballero's kickflip versus whatever. And I know some of them can't do the specific tricks, but if you were able to put their style into it and add style, but from a, that, that's a real, I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those things that's gonna, it, 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 it costs a lot from a development perspective. It takes a lot of time and then do people out there actually notice it? I, I don't know. Hmm. So it's one of those bang for the buck kind of things. Yeah, that's a good point. How much would people actually care about it? There's there's a lot of discussion in our community about trick animations, and especially in the new game. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about that. We'll get to that here in a minute, but uh, uh, you might be surprised. I, I think the average person might not notice the animations, but I think the, the more kind of nuanced, hardcore person definitely would. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would. Right. Also, on that topic of uh, things on the cutting room floor, were there any levels that got lost along the way that people might find interesting to hear about? Nothing of, like, of circumstance. You know, I know at the beginning there were, like, oh, the freeway level, there was, like, a freeway level, and there were – there, but, but those were all, like, things that, you know, we, we were trying – anytime there was – there were levels that got cut, it was because either a they just didn't work from a skate perspective or we just there was never going to be enough time and sometimes those things made themselves available like later on so there's nothing that that like oh you know we we got we we had to cut the, that that i could that i could think of that that i could hang on to that oh it it had to get cut because we didn't have time i, I don't i don't really have anything like that all right um, what would you say? I think you already touched on this. I'm going to go ahead and skip this one. Freddie, go ahead and uh, move on to the next one if you'd like. So did you have any part in the soundtracks at all? Most, most notably, who was responsible for the soundtracks for Pro Skater 1 and 2? So 1 and 2, um, 1 specifically, there, there, were, there were a few of us that, that would give suggestions. And we had a, uh, I can't remember the team. There was a team that was hired that kind of, did the the clearance and i know silvio who was um he was our art director he had a lot of influence on on things but there were also guys like myself and chris roush who was a uh designer that that influenced um, a lot of the punk direction as the soundtrack grew there was a group of us that were sort of the quote unquote soundtrack team and we would get together and throw around music and you know at the time again there was no spotify you right. couldn't find there were you couldn't find every song in the world on YouTube, so we were we were rip, I was ripping CDs and we would sit and we would kind of listen to what we thought would fit, and um, you know and then we'd sort of make the soundtrack, make picks out of out of those things what we thought would fit, and then work with Activision on the budget of what we had. Initially, those budgets were really small. By the eighth 
game that I worked on, the soundtrack that the budget that I had that I was working with was about a, about $500,000. So it grew and grew and grew tremendously over the years. And it, it became a, you know, became a big thing. And again, it was just mostly guys on the team sitting around, um, you know, eventually it grew to the point where we had a you know multitude of genres of music. So we had a couple of guys, you know, guys that were into hip hop that would throw out those tracks, guys that were into punk and rock that would throw out those tracks. We and it would just we'd get together and figure out what we thought would be the best, and then line it up with Activision. Uh, Activision would always be the guys that were um, licensing the music, you know, with the bands and with the the studios and. And then we'd figure out how much we could get for what we had, our budget was, and that became our soundtrack. Nice. So, yeah. oh, so, so which of those game soundtracks happened to be your personal favorite? You know, I mean, it would I would be remiss if I didn't say Tony Hawk's Underground 2 because my band is in that soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Same, shameless self-promotion. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So being the producer who handled the soundtrack, I was able to put my own band in, in it. So yeah, Dead End Road, Sin City from Tony Hawk's Underground 2. That's nice. the stuff right there. Oh, man, that's when the soundtracks had that. I, we talked about this the other day. I can't remember. It was either, uh, did Underground 2 have the largest soundtrack with the most songs? Or was it American Wasteland, like 94 I songs was, or something? Yeah, it was probably Wasteland had about that many. But it was in the 80s, 90s. And that's just a ton of songs. Yeah. You know, we get level. And, you know, we had a lot of free songs. We had a lot of different bands that would submit songs that were, you know, ro that were royalty free, that were, you know, just wanted to be on the soundtrack. And so we would totally, we were interested in stuffing it with as much stuff, as long as it fit, you know, it fit the theme and the feel, then yeah, we're good yeah. at it. You guys talk about that, and in fact, interview some of your bands, some of the bands that you interview in the in the uh, documentary, talking about how it, it almost feels like a band would want to get on the soundtrack, you know, in those later games, because man, it it feels like it almost made some of their careers, and people still talking about those songs today, you know. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, even like like I said, I put my band on there. We get a ton of plays on Spotify. Wow, and. 20 30 bucks a month on spotify alone just because of it being wrapped up into some of the tony hawk playlists and we're just a you know we're just a small little indie band here in <laughs> california and we put our, our track in the, so it, it it had a big influence on on things for sure but you know and punk was one of the easiest genres to clear it was it was always easy working with punk bands um rap and and, and hip-hop were always the most expensive Interesting. Huh, yeah. That's interesting. So did you contribute to any voiceover work in any of the games? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I did a few at the beginning. It was sort of one of those things that at the beginning everything was a little bit under, you know, the you know, under the radar, so we didn't have to worry about um uh any any kind of licensing or any of the the um what's it called? The the SAG Screen Actors Guild and stuff. Where after that, where we started having the pros doing voices, you would have to have you know SAG compliance. So, oh, but I did a few um, in Tony Hawk too. The the Indian cab driver and the the New York cab driver. I nice. did that guy. You know, yeah, the you motherfucker. You know that guy. The, you <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all the the voices in the bull ring. All the 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 Hispanic 
like kind of accents and all that stuff. But Andale, Andale, all that shit. That's all me. Really? Yeah, I did that's a- so cool. <laughs> Tony Hawk too, specifically. I did, I did a couple in one and then throughout the series, if we needed different things, I would jump in the voice booth, but we wouldn't get, you know, we wouldn't get credited, which was fine with me. If we needed stuff, like I'm fine doing stuff. So I, I always was able to do like different accents and things. So, that, but the big one was the uh, the Indian cab driver in in New York City. That was my that was my love big it. role. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So we've we've heard from one of our previous guests, Dana McKenzie, some of the crazy stories of working at NeverSoft. Uh, do you have any memorable stories that stick out to you of a crazy or fun time while working there? No, because we drank way too much alcohol. <laughs> Dana said that, too. We asked him about the yeah. Las Vegas Christmas party. He's like, I don't even yeah, remember no. those. I was... yeah, those, are all very, those are all very memorable. <laughs> now, I think one of the most memorable, as far as stories that sticks out, is when we, um, you know, we had a, we were, we were filmed, Joel would rent out Skate Street in Simi Valley. It was a skate park, and we would go and and skate and you know we'd film and you know i don't know if you, you remember some of the never soft skate videos and Absolutely. stuff that we had yeah so i was always there filming and running film i didn't skate that much back then and i would but i would film and one of the most memorable is when we had a one of our testers that, that kind of went out there and he he literally slammed so hard on his face on a uh i think it was a quarter pipe or a fun box that you saw the teeth mark where his where his teeth augured into the the masonite. Oh my gosh! And he and he busted both his front teeth out. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, and it was you know you see blood. It was just you know his both front teeth out. But the most amazing thing, like I said, you could literally see where his teeth were made marks in the masonite, and wow. that was uh, yeah yeah. Thankfully, Joel Joel took care of him pretty well. He gave him a quote unquote licensing fee for the footage. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to make sure the taxes are that's, what they should be, right? <laughs> that, that's how it worked out back then. I love Can't it. Get away with that stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd imagine. <clears throat> so, what is your opinion on the way the series went under Robomoto's direction? So, you know, it obviously went into a different area with the, especially with the skateboard thing. And it's kind of a funny thing at that time I had been working with Tony. So I was, I was working for Tony. I was working at Tony Hawk Inc. So after I left Neversoft in, in 2006, I went to work for, for Tony for four years. And, you know, we had a lot of different um, peripheral developers that had sent over skateboard peripherals to us when we were at Neversoft. And I had tried a lot of them and none of them worked. Like none of them, they just, it just didn't work. But I, the big reason why none of them worked is none of them were ever meant and built specifically for the game. Hmm. And hmm. so I was con, I, you know, I was a little bit confident that, hey, if they were able to actually build something specifically for the game and the feel of the game and how it moves and everything, then maybe, you know, they might be able to do something. But you know, I think the first one that they did was a little bit rushed. It came out too soon, and it wasn't it wasn't highly regarded. And the second one that came out was more of what they wanted. But for me personally, those games, you know, I'm I, at this when when I started playing them, I'm like, what? I'm probably mid forties. Right. I'm not the most in shape. I'm not, you know, gigantic dude, but I'm not the most in. 
they really beat you up when you start playing them for 15, 20 minutes, you're huffing and puffing. I will tell you this. <laughs> I did see my, my nephews, you know, who are, you know, little kids, they're playing them and they're having an amazing time playing them. But I think at that time, the, the, you know, guitar hero was over, all of the plastics were over. And so it, it kind of, and, and I, you know, to Robo Moto's, you know, there, it's going to be a hard, Neversoft is going to be a hard team to follow. Anybody who makes a hit game is going to be a hard team to follow and pick up and make another, you know, continue the franchise on with. So I give them all the credit in the world for, for taking on the torch and trying to pick it up and do something different and, and uh, move it, move the needle forward and at least keep the video game to, you know, going. And that was the one thing for me is I just wanted, I always wanted the series to be alive mm. and well, because unlike, you know, I was in an interview earlier with uh, with um, the L.A. Times, and unlike like unlike movies or books or any other type of media, video games are one of those things where they could just become obsolete, and you might not ever, unless you're a a diehard and you have an old console, you may not ever be able to play or experience this video game again with somebody. Right? right. It's the one and only sort of media that's like that. And it is a big, I mean, it, it eclipses the movie, you know, by uh, revenue by, by a lot. So you would think that, wow, it's, it's still one of those things where in 10 years, you may not, some of the video games you're playing today, they might, they might, might, might not be uh, accessible to you at all. And they might be completely obsolete. Right. So um, it's always nice to see someone kind of take on the torch and move it forward. And so I was, you know, I was happy to see that. It was just a gigantic challenge to do it the way they did. Um, but, you know, I think it would also be a gigantic challenge for anybody to pick it up and the way we did and, and redo it, which, you know, I, I'm stoked for, for Vicarious Visions. I've played the, I've played the demo and it's, I, I've had, a, I, I played a ton of it, you know, and it's nice. just that demo. There's nothing, there's nothing really to, aside from trying to find all the goals and, and relive some of my old combos. There's nothing else to do except for, <laughs> that but i've had a ton of fun so i'm i'm stoked on it my you know my nephew is a hardcore skateboarder yeah. and just being able to go dude we're gonna play this video game now you're gonna see what what we did back in the day i'm i'm stoked on on anybody moving it forward robomoto included nice very kind yeah. very kindly said they have uh, been the brunt of uh a lot of negative press and reviews that's very yeah you know you. whenever you yeah whenever you do something different you're always stick your neck out there is always going to be and especially, I don't know that there's more of a hate group than video games, than <laughs> skateboarding and video games. I mean, skateboarding, skate has a lot of hate in it, too. And then you combine skate and video games, it's yeah. just two worlds <laughs> colliding. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So have you, heard, uh, have you heard about the uh, Thug Pro mod for Thug 2 that most hardcore players are playing in 2020? If so, do you have any thoughts or impressions on it? Do you know anything about it? I, I have heard of it. I don't, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I don't really know a ton about it. I'm always stoked, like, when I see things. Um, you know, and I, and I hear things, oh, there's the, I'm like, wow, these people are still playing this, you know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing. And, and the whole, you know, indie dev thing and being able to tear a game apart and keep it going. I'm stoked on it. Uh, even though I don't know a, a lot about it, it's, um, it's keeping a game and keeping a franchise that I worked on alive. And so, yeah, I mean, 
why not? Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, the the development team has taken the Underground Two engine, and they've basically taken almost every level from Pro Skater One all the way until American Wasteland. There's even a couple of Project Eight levels in there too. All the regular levels moved them into that engine. There's custom level support, custom soundtrack support. You can do tons and tons of stuff. It's really quite an amazing feat, and it's it's a lot of fun to play. So this is Sounds awesome. <clears throat> I'm a so, Mac guy. Is it on Mac? <laughs> uh, you can you can play it on Mac via Wine. There's an installer if you want any more right. information. Uh, check it out. One of our good guys, uh, a shout out to Tyler. He wrote. Uh, he's got a whole YouTube video on on how to install it on Mac. So if you have any interest at all, uh, look me up and uh, we'll get you hooked up and playing. We, we'd love yeah, to see Ralph got, D. Yeah, yeah, you got my email. Hit, hit yeah. me up. It's all right, I like it. Email me. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 plus 2, it comes out in less than a week. What are your impressions, Ralph? I'm stoked. Like I said, I'm, I'm like really stoked. I, I've been playing, I've been playing the, uh, the, the warehouse demo. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I, I can't wait to see all the different, the, the goals and just be able to play it from start to finish again. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, just looking at what they did with the, with the warehouse and how it feels, I, uh, I'm stoked to see what, what else they got coming and I hope it keeps going, you know, for sure. I know Tony tweeted or Instagram something like two or three weeks ago about some, something and then, you know, three and four maybe in the future, but it would be my thing. If there's anything, my thing would be to take, do something completely new with, you know, the old games in mind. So that, that kind of whole thing. And, and whether it's a, a story based thing or another, like, Pro Skater one, two, three, kind of, or maybe four, kind of feel. I, I don't, I don't care, but something new would be cool. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of thoughts surrounding that, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll withhold yeah. them. Uh, so yeah. let's talk about this. I'm showing on stream right now uh, a flyover of the hangar level in one plus yeah. two. They transformed it into kind of a tribute to NeverSoft. It features various game covers displayed as posters. NeverSoft artwork all over the place. What do you think about NeverSoft being commemorated in this way in this new game? I think it's dope. I mean, I think it's really cool. It's um, it's always good to you know tip a hat to the folks that kind of came before you and sort of laid the groundwork for the game. I mean, because in, in all honesty, it would we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the you know the the thirteen fourteen of us at NeverSoft that started this thing off and and got it going in the right direction and. So it's always cool to to see that stuff. It's um, it's nice. I I, uh, I I I watched the video and I'm really stoked to play that level. I always liked the hangar. It was one of my favorites too. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to play. <laughs> Love it. If you could uh, give one piece of advice to anybody at Vicarious Visions, what would that be? Um, just kind of keep being true to the, to what Neversoft laid out, like the, the spirit of the video game and, and true to skateboarding itself. And, you know, keep Tony, Tony abreast of what's going on. I think he's always a, a great person to, to, um, to bounce things off of as we did back in the day. And yeah, just keep, keep making more games. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see that torch carried on. I love it. Yeah, yeah, keep making more games. All right, Ralph, that comes to the end of our questions on Neversoft. We have some questions concerning the documentary. Are you still okay on yeah. time? Or... Yeah, 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 let's keep going. We can go. 
All right. All right. All right. As long as you're sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can talk sure. all day. I mean, Freddie and I, we, we love this stuff, and it's uh, super awesome. We sure appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, hanging with us and going over a little bit. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, cool. So um, let's uh, let's jump to that, and let's talk about the documentary, Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk video game story. What was the genesis of the project? So it, it kind of – uh, so there's twofold. So Ludwig Gurr, who is the director, he has been a gigantic fan of the Tony Hawk series for quite a while. And he had a, he had a YouTube channel. And so, you know, he, he's wanted to do something, I think more, he's done a couple of different things on YouTube, uh, a couple of different uh, videos where it was sort of the history of the Tony Hawk video game series and so forth. And I think he, he had wanted to do something for a while. I personally, I'm a huge documentary nut. Like I'll watch anything, any documentary <laughs> that you have, I'll just watch. And uh, back in about 2013, I, I um, reconnected with some NeverSoft, uh, some NeverSoft coworkers, Chris Roush and Steve Gannam, and we made a we made a mobile game called Endless Skater. It was a skateboarding, you know, left to right side scrolling yeah, game. Yeah, I played it. I played it. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So I had talked to him back then about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm huge in documentaries. I've been thinking about, I was nostalgic about the video game. I was thinking about maybe, you know, what do you think about doing a, me doing a documentary or it, it happening? And he sort of laid down a gauntlet and was like, hey, if anybody's, anybody should do it, it should be you. So that sort of stuck in my head um, for a while. By 2015, I saw this this video that Ludwig did on, YouTube and it was the history of the Tony Hawk series and it was just this amazingly detailed history so much detail that I don't even remember like I, I was yeah. astounded by how much and I and I actually sent it to Tony I was like dude have you seen this and and Tony was like yeah I already saw that thing so <laughs> you know I I my my wife was like yeah you should email this guy you should text him or message him and I was like no no, no you know typical dude guy thing no 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 and yeah, go ahead, message him, message him. And so I eventually did message him and told him, Hey, you know, I'm a big fan. This is, I was, I used to work on the video game and, and he was a little bit kind of like, Whoa, I can't, you know, he was a little bit taken back. And, and so we kind of, you know, striked up a friendship and I, you know, I, the next year I was going out to Sweden on vacation. We're visiting a friend of my, my wife's and then we we're going to go to Italy and, and so we, we went out and we met, I met Ludwig and he was still in high school and I brought him a, you know, brought him an autographed skateboard and we sort of talked a little bit, nothing about documentary, but, you know, just sort of, sort of kept in touch. And then he was, he graduated high school, was coming out to California and he came out, uh, went, was in LA for a little while, then came out to my house in Orange County and we hung out for a couple of days and he kicked my ass at the video game because he's really <laughs> better than me. And then, uh, we talked about a documentary and I told him that, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I wanted to do it. And you're, you're, you know, he had showed me a couple of little shorts that he had done um, on top of the YouTube stuff. And I was impressed at him being a director and, and I knew he knew everything about the video game there was to know. Sure. And so I started talking about sort of partnering up and, you know, he was on board for sure from the, from the get go. And, and I, um, I knew he was going down to San Diego the next day, which was Monday. So I hit up Tony and I, I asked him, Hey, one of your biggest fans who's from Sweden is, is here in town. You got any time tomorrow to meet up with him? And Tony replied pretty quick and was like, yeah, I'm going to come by the office at nine o'clock. 
So I told Ludwig, go down and check, hey, Tony wants, you know, go meet up with Tony. And his head kind of blew up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he went down to THI and he he then like pitched to Tony and Tony was like, yeah, sure. So and I, I had already asked Rodney and a couple other guys and they were on board. And so that was sort of how it all started. He and I, from that point, it was just tons and tons of Skype calls and you know, setting up planning and doing just lots of different things to get, to get the thing underway. And, you know, step by step by step after three years, we, uh, we've come to where we are now. It's now it's live. It's available out there for people on Amazon and everywhere. Love it. Yeah. We're so, uh, so you, you initially did an Indiegogo campaign. Yep. It, it didn't get fully funded, unfortunately, but you decided to keep for uh, moving forward in spite of that smaller budget. Um, if it was fully funded, do, can you share a little bit of what the plans were for a larger budget behind it? Well, I mean, if it was fully funded, it wouldn't have funded what the film cost anyways. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't really can't make a film for the money that our Indiegogo campaign was. I mean, you can. You can make like a very small like kind of YouTube documentary, but when you get into – the cost of clearing the kind of music that we needed to clear oh, and, <laughs> you know, all those things that you can't really, I mean, we decided early on that you can't have a, a Tony Hawk video game documentary without having music from the game. And, right. and, you, and those songs, they're not, you know, they don't give you those songs for free. They don't come for free. So yeah, if we would have gotten fully funded, it would have had no bearing on, on the, the budget. It, that budget still would not have been enough. Um, it would have still required myself to to kind of dip in and, and help get it all done, which is what I did. Wow. The Indiegogo campaign was really just to get the word out there, and that's that's kind of what it did. It it got us noticed. We were we were interviewed by Rolling Stone. We were interviewed by a, by a bunch wow. of different magazines that then picked it up, and it, it got us out there and the word out there that that hey these and it also proved to me that hey funding this thing is the right thing to do because there's so much interest yeah but yeah you can't really make a a proper documentary for i mean you can it would just be very very low budget to make a, a documentary for the for what our even our indiegogo budget was wow i mean you could do stuff on youtube and you know not have licensed music and all that good stuff but when you're when you really want to make something that is it going to be on Amazon and on YouTube and iTunes and, and all that, that, that Indiegogo campaign was even shy of what you really need. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. So Tony Hawk himself, he was not only was he in the film, but he promoted it very heavily uh, pre and post release. Uh, was he stoked on the project from the very start? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was. I mean, even, you know, anytime I talked with him, he was, he was stoked to, to help along. I mean, he came up to, mammoth to help us at the film festival yeah. up there and he spent a day with us up there and did qa and so yeah i mean he was you know and i and i showed tony a, a copy of the the film early on and he was super stoked on it and he helped in any way he could so i i cannot be happier happier with with everything that that tony did for for us on this project for sure that's awesome so ludwig in uh we did an interview with him um previously and he told us you could probably speak to this question better it was one that he wasn't able to answer did you have any challenges during the project with the licensing and rights to the various aspects of it probably rights to the games the sound you know the songs all of the kind of stuff that goes behind that 
Yeah, I mean, it was all a challenge, all that part. I mean, see, here's the thing. You could put whatever you want on film and you could make whatever you want in a documentary and put it together and have it all in premiere and, and line it all up. And it's all great. You can do whatever you want, but you can't sell it unless you do all of the, the, the work and all the legal work behind making sure that every piece of what you've used, you have the right to use. And so that, that was the, the bulk of our post-production was making sure not only the music, which I spoke to already, which is a huge, I mean, a huge undertaking getting, you know, giant songs from the, from the Tony Hawk series in our, in our documentary, but then, you know, some of the content, we, we were licensing content from ESPN and licensing content from um, Fuel and, and just a variety of different places and trying to track content down from places where, you know, if you're looking at old, you know, old footage. So that, that in and of itself, and if I was to tell any, and as a, you know, novice filmmaker myself, I would have absolutely allocated more time to that, more time and budget to that than I did at the beginning. Hmm. You know, this is our first feature film. So, you know, knowing that if you want to sell this on, on Amazon or iTunes or any, you know, global network that, all of that stuff, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I, I think he owns it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that doesn't that doesn't fly for the lawyers. You know, right. you can't get insurance that way. So, uh, yeah, there are there are tons and tons of different battles back and forth. And I mean, we're we're really lucky that for the most part, I'd say 90 percent of the, the soundtrack that we picked from the get go, we were able to get. It were, there was very little that we had to switch out. So, awesome. um but it was a testament to, we had a, our, 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 my sound, my music director, he's done this, our music supervisor, Jonathan McHugh, he's done this, you know, many, many times. So, you know, we, we had very good people on the project that were able to, to help us along, but all of the licensing from the, from the music to the content, all of it was a challenge. Hmm. Yeah, the, the songs for sure. I mean, obviously, if you're going to call your, if you're going to call the documentary a song, you got to make sure that song's in it. And I love the fact that you guys, you threw in the the Mike Herrera MXPX version of 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 the acoustic at the end when the credits rolled. MXPX one of my favorite bands of all time, so I love that that was in there because I love that 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 acoustic remix that Mike did. Yeah, when when we saw that, when we saw they they did that during the whole COVID, yeah. you know, during well during it's still COVID, but during that 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 we had to have it. We we just were you know we're talking. We're we worked really well with their their management. Um, ha, you know, shout out to to them over there. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, but getting that was when we heard that, I was like, yeah, we have to have that. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Now, dur uh, during the documentary, Tony talks about the lightning in a bottle moment of landing the first 900 at X Games right at the tail end of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1's development. He recalls speaking to Joel Jewett on the phone the very next day, asking if it could be in the game, to which Joel replied to him he was already on it. What was Neversoft's reaction to this groundbreaking moment that took Tony and the game's popularity to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I remember watching it. I was at home uh, after a, probably a, a hard day of work at Neversoft, <laughs> watching it and knowing that we we're going to have to, you know, as soon as he did it, it was sort of a no-brainer. But the one be beauty of it is the 900 itself, from an animation perspective, 
you're really just holding a specific frame and then spinning it, right? Sure. It's it's not, it's not like a hugely complex animation to our benefit. And we had already been working on spinning animations before. So to be honest, it wasn't that huge of a leap to get it in. But it was one of those things that would not have been in had Tony not done the trick. Like we were not going to put, and it was, it was also, it wasn't, I, I don't know if it was a, it was one of those unsaid things. Like we're not going to put a trick in for Tony that he hasn't done yet. Right. And the 900 was one of those Holy grail tricks. So it would, had Tony not done it at that time, it would not have made the game, hmm. but there was no way Tony was not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was the perfect moment. There's no question about yeah, there's it. There's just no way. Yeah, for sure. So pretending I'm a Superman does a fantastic job of telling the story of the games along how they related to skate culture at the time. Did you and Ludwig ever come across creative differences at any point in development, or did you both share a singular vision from the outset? No, we we never argued at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we definitely. I mean. Uh, I think it's, and it's kind of funny. I think it's a typical sort of producer director kind of thing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm more of the business, the more of the timeline budget, sure. you know, all of that thing. He's more of the creative and what we need to do best to tell the story and, and that thing. And, and we definitely butted heads quite a bit and the story itself evolved over time and from both of us. But I will say that the final the final way the story progressed is pretty much all Ludwig, and thankfully so because my my take was more of it would it would really appeal to the more of to the to, to folks that just like the video game. It wouldn't have a wide appeal like the, the the whole being able to tell a background story of skateboarding and the history of skateboarding and how it got to a place where a video game company would invest money in a video game. That's all Ludwig, like weaving that story and, and how it all progressed. And then the post of the video game stuff, that's definitely all Ludwig. And thankfully, you know, I partnered with a guy that at his, you know, at his young age has such vision. And I mean, it also, it also speaks volumes when you look at all of the different interviewees that he had to talk to, you know, yeah. from, from Tony, who's his idol, you know, growing up <laughs> to to Jay Bentley, who's a bass player to his favorite band growing yes. up, you know, and talking to these guys and, and having such a professional, you know, attitude to, to get what he got out of them and direct the way he did. I, I will always, you know, speak volumes of how great Ludwig is as a, as a director and how he was able to weave the story the way it was. Love it. Yeah. So the film has received much critical acclaim in rave reviews. It currently has a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you happy with how it has been received so far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm stoked. I'm, you know, it's always cool to to know that people like what you're doing outside of your family. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> who, who tend to who tend to lie to you? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and after. After this long, you know, it's been a while. Ludwig and I have worked on this for three years off and on. You know, it hasn't been a solid 40 hours a week for three years, but it's been, it's always been on for me. This has been my project that I've, I've been working on for, for that amount of time. And to see it come out and to see people appreciate it and the reviews that we're getting and, 
it's it's an awesome feeling and it's something that that um you know it kind of feels a little bit like what what we felt back in the day obviously not at that not at that level but it's it's a cool feeling and and having it kind of tag along with with what's going on and the nostalgia that's being built up around the new new video game is is super cool that's awesome well deserved all yeah. of it <clears throat> yeah thanks man yeah totally uh so i really enjoyed the documentary I, I was really quite pleasantly surprised at how the story unfolded if i'm being completely honest um i really thought it would kind of focus on the gameplay like you described would have been maybe your vision or whatever for it um but it does, it, it, and it does that very well. But I was surprised to see how the story really seemed to tell how much the games had a dramatic effect on skateboarding. So almost flipped the script here. Was that fully intentional, or was that just a natural outcome of the full picture of the story? It's a. I think it was more of a natural outcome when we started, and I think you know Ludwig would be the better answer to this, or better person to answer this because it, this was him, but. I think it was when he was talking to the skaters, this came to him through the answers that they're providing and how much they were saying how, you know, and just kind of confirming because it's sort of, it, I would never, I would never come out and, and, and say, Hey, we're going to make a documentary that shows how much the Tony Hawk series influenced skateboarding. I would never be that egotistical, you know, <laughs> yeah, to right. think that, Oh, we're, but then when you start hearing the skaters and you start hearing, you know, Rodney and, and Tony and these guys and Soy talking about how it did, it sort of becomes an undeniable fact. So then you have to sort of like shift focus on, hey, we're not just talking about a documentary about just some video game series, um, you know, and just, hey, the Tony Hawk series, it did this and the rise and fall and yada, yada, yada. Sure. Now we're talking about some sort of a cultural and it becomes a bigger story. It becomes sort of a cultural impact of what the series did, not only not only from the video gamers, but from skateboarders. And I think one of the things that, that Tony says in the documentary that, that is the most eloquent for me is, you know, skateboarding before the video game, and uh, I, I think X Games helped this a little bit. I can't blame it. I can't put it all in the video game. Sure. But before that era, there weren't really fans of skateboarding. The only fans of skateboarding were fellow skateboarders. Yep. You didn't have a fan base of people that didn't skate, but appreciated it. Just like, you know, baseball and football. And you have tons and tons and tons. The majority of fans, they don't play, but they're fans. But you didn't have that in skateboarding. After the video game sort of hit, you had people that are now watching it on, you know, on more on TV and you're, you've got street league and now you've got the Olympics that are coming out. And it's just that impact is, is pretty tremendous. You know, that, that now you have a fan base of a, of an activity that know about these things that never existed before. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think the impact is pretty huge. Absolutely. Hmm. It's well said. It seems that there is uh, so much more that that could be told about this story. And with the great reception to pretending I'm a Superman, do you think there could be a part two somewhere in the future? <laughs> I don't know. If somebody's got some budget, I'm down to do anything. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Still recovering from the outlay of the initial project, it sounds like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah let's, do oh, a B, let's do it. Let's do a B-Go documentary. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, um, no, I would, I would definitely. I mean, it, this this has been a big part of my life for so long. It's it's always it, I I'll never say never to anything, but I think I think if people want to look back in history and see anything about what the Tony Hawk series was about, I think we did a pretty damn good job of 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 at least giving you an idea of where we came, where it came from, and what it did and and its impact. But there's always you know, and who knows? We'll, we you might see some extra stuff on the on the DVD when it comes out. Love it. Uh, that's a perfect segue. Is is the doc going to get a physical release right. in the future? Yeah, yeah. We're looking at that. We're looking more towards the end of the year, um, towards the holiday season. Cool. So yeah, we, we're we're definitely there. If you look online, I think even Australia, there there might be some some stuff that they're talking about out there as well, which is kind of funny. It's yeah. always funny seeing product that that uh, with the film that you made. You know, it's just it's kind of it's kind of a trip. There, oh, there's some bootlegs already. I take it. <laughs> no, I saw something on Instagram with a guy making a VHS of it. I was like, "Whoa, he made a VHS <laughs> copy of the freaking yeah." <laughs> I don't even I don't even have a VHS player anymore. I, I wanted to buy one. I'm like, I don't even have one of these anymore. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's been the only thing. There's been several people in the in the online community that we're part of that are like in Germany and and. Um, uh, Netherlands and so forth, and they're yeah, they're, they're bummed that it's not there yet. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sure it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I mean, trust me, if we could put it on a platform and say, hey, go here, and it's global, and we had it up to us to do that, we would do it. It's just we don't have that ability. You know, there are things called broadcast laws. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all back to the rights of everything again, right? You got to have the rights to do it in specific countries. Exactly. And so you can't like it. Trust me again, if we were able to put it in one place and have it available every single place in the world, we would. It's yep. just, you know, it's coming. It, it'll it, it'll be there soon. Soon. Sure. Trademark. I like it. <laughs> well, uh, Ralph, do you have any other projects currently in the works that you can tell us about? Not not anything of huge substance. I'm, I've got a couple things. One, I mean, I'm working with Ludwig. Ludwig and I will work together, I'm sure, on something soon. Um, but yeah, I got a couple of things kicking around. Nothing that I can, not, nothing I can really talk too much about. Sure. But I'm always looking for for you know projects and for good people to work with for sure. That's awesome. All right, Ralph, that uh, ends our line of questioning. We had some questions from Discord, but for the sake of time, we're already two hours into this. We're going to go ahead and omit those at this time, and we, we would typically do some uh, questions from Twitch chat as well, but again, we, we want to be respectful of you. So at this point, I would just like to uh, open the floor to you, Ralph. Is there anything that you'd like to say? And we've talked about the documentary. Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about how people can access that and get available. You know, just, just uh, go ahead and uh, you can promote yourself feel free to say whatever <laughs> right. you'd like to the floor like, is yours like away. yeah yeah no i mean it's just pretty simple if you just if you want to check out the documentary go to our website thpsfilm.com it uh we have links to all the different uh vod providers there amazon itunes youtube xbox it's if you google it you'll find it so yeah but i appreciate the the time for sure and i and i appreciate you guys appreciate what you guys are doing to keep the whole the video game alive and well in people's minds. So yeah, thanks so much. 
Oh gosh, no, thank you. The honor and pleasure is all ours. We really appreciate you doing it. I remember when I when I got a hold of you and I, I uh, uh, texted you and and I was very tentative. I didn't know if you'd be into it, and uh, you were like, "Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, I'll do it." And I was like, "Wow, yeah, hell yeah, really cool." Because <laughs> you know we don't have a massive audience, and I mean you're talking to Rolling Stone and you're talking to Vanity Fair and you're talking ah, to you know on, all dude. these you people. Been, so man, you guys have been fans. For, yeah, you guys have been fans from back in the day. Yeah. So come on, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> give it up to you well, guys. Thank you. Yeah. We really. Appreciate Appreciate it. I'm sure all yeah. of our listeners and viewers uh, appreciate it as well. Thank you so much for your time, and it's been a lot of fun. It's it's uh, great to hear so many of these stories. So uh, thanks again for your time, and we, we genuinely appreciate it. All right, thank you. Good cool. talking to you guys. Yep, yep. You can drop off the call if you want, Ralph. We're just gonna uh, introduce uh, our next episode or whatever. But uh, yeah, whatever you'd like to do. Sounds good. All right, cool. All right, cheers. All right, thanks. Thank you. All right. So great time with Ralph there. Uh, super, super fun. Apologize to everybody. I know we had a lot of questions on Discord, but uh, Ralph had originally said that he would only have an hour, so he gave us double his time. Um, and so he's a busy guy. He's doing tons of interviews for the documentary right now. So our apologies to everybody that submitted questions via direct message or in Discord. Sorry that we couldn't get to those. Uh, we are just trying to be respectful of his time. Freddie and I actually ended up cutting probably, I don't know, maybe – a third of our questions that we had prepared as well so um they just have time constraints uh sometimes and and you know i i think we got a great sense of ralph and just a great guy again encourage everybody if you haven't please check out the documentary support the cause it's really really great stuff um so um all right uh freddie any thoughts uh on what's going on there absolutely i mean he's one of those guests that we had talked about from the very get-go of coming onto the podcast and uh, all these stories and it's, the thoughts about early Neversoft was just kind of soaking it in, you know, <laughs> as, as a fan, as a fan, you know, I'm, I'm stoked to have gotten to talk to him. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, talk about our next episode right now. Coming up, we're going to have Sunday, September 13th at 8 o'clock Eastern. We're going to have a Tony Hawk 1 plus 2 in depth with myself and Freddie. We're going to do this a little bit different this time. Um, we're going to dive into the new game. We're going to be focusing on an in-depth deep dive into the new game, fo focusing on aspects of it that probably will be proving to be of interest to the more hardcore fans of the game. I'm sure you're going to see and hear tons and tons and tons of <laughs> of reviews and interviews and streams and everything else. So we're going to try to make this one just a little bit different. Freddie's going to be discussing the gameplay mechanics and nuances. I'm going to go ahead and take a deep dive into create a park, big shocker. Uh, but then we'll culminate in a dual discussion concerning online play. It should be a ton of fun and provide a different perspective on the, uh, uh, on the new game. So Freddie, Excited to uh, play the game, obviously, but then uh, we're going to have a yeah. chance to digest it. Yeah, it's going to be uh, awesome. You know, I'm kind of sad that you're going to miss the launch weekend, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to catch up the following week. 
Well, I don't know. Are we media? Can somebody uh, drop a, a, a copy of the game to the media for for the early when the embargo? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to ask for it. Can, can you ask some friends? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Should be a good time. We're looking forward to the next episode, episode 37. And then I promise, I know we talked about it before, but schedules still haven't quite worked out yet. Um, we are going to have Andy THPS on the on the broadcast uh, soon, trademark. Uh, we're just working out some scheduling things. Um, he's got a lot going on with the launch of the new game. So schedules haven't quite synced up yet, but uh, it's coming soon. So stay tuned for that. We will have him. All right, we're going to go ahead and call it and wrap it. All right, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for the support and the love. And uh, with that, talk to you later.